This week's podcast is sponsored by the new Bowers & Wilkins 700 series. Every model in this extensive range is inspired by the recording studio and enabled by cutting-edge technologies. The new 700 series brings studio sound home with eight elegant high-performance models that will suit every decor and preference. Discover more at BowersWilkins.com. Hello and welcome to the Reforms podcast for Monday the 30th of January. Good evening. We're back once again, but there's going to be some changes. Um, we're going to tell you about the changes in a sec, but tonight I'm joined by regulars Ed Selly, Ian Collin and Doug Piper. Good evening, guys. Evening, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, right, Jules not here. Uh, Jules is actually out in Barcelona. Um, he goes there every year for ISE uh, or wherever ISE is held. It's usually uh, Amsterdam and Barcelona. Uh, he'll tell us all about that when he gets back. ISC's basically integrator um, show, so um, you know all custom install stuff and and so on. But we're going to cover a couple of the products tonight, which will be of interest uh, to everybody out there. Um, things that I know Doug uh, is really interested in as well. So we'll cover a little bit of that later on. And when Jules comes back on the next podcast, you can tell us all about it. Now, talking about podcasts, there is no movies edition tonight. That's because we're going back to weekly podcast schedule. I know a lot of you out there uh, have been asking us to go back to weekly. Uh, you miss the weekly podcast. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it in terms of movies one week and then the AV Forums podcast uh, with this team uh, the following week. So um, it's going to be a bi-weekly thing. Uh, there are some months where uh, there will be no podcast because there's five Mondays in the month rather than the four. Um but yeah, we're going to have the uh, the movies podcast on the first and third Monday of the month. That starts at half past eight if you want to watch it live. Of course, the audio only version will be available after that live live stream as well. So if you are somebody who listens in a little bit later on in the week uh, to the audio only version, that will be available as well. And then the, uh, the alternate week, so second and fourth Mondays of the month from 7pm if you want to watch live on YouTube will be the AV Forums podcast, this podcast. And that starts next week with the movies on the uh, 6th of February. So uh, join in for that. Um, That's the first of the new schedule. So why are we doing this? Well, there's not going to be that many changes to movies other than it gets a Monday to itself. Uh, Movies always followed on from this podcast. Um, We want to give it a little bit extra, a little bit uh, exposure there so you guys can find it and join in. Uh, So it gets a Monday to itself. And then this podcast is actually going to extend from 60 minutes, which it should be. It's never 60 minutes, but it should be 60 minutes. We're going to extend it out to 90 minutes, and that gives us the opportunity to cover uh, specific sections. So there will be a TV display calibration section. uh, There'll be a home cinema area. And then Ed's going to present the hi-fi area um, of that podcast. uh, So we can break it out. We can deep dive into subjects in those particular category areas, uh, be a little bit more detailed in our reviews, uh, subject matters and so on. Uh, plus, uh, there'll be the usual news uh, and we will do Q&As, but we're also going to add in some interviews. Uh, you guys, again, have been asking for people in the industry to get involved. Uh, we're going to do that. We're going to get people involved. We're going to get colorists and uh, manufacturers representatives and hi-fi people and just get everybody in and uh, we'll ask them your questions and, uh, and add that uh, as a regular to the podcast. So, uh, that's what's happening going forward. Uh, but tonight, uh, we're going to do the old podcast uh, layout, which... One last time. Minutes. One last time. 60 minutes. Let's hope we can manage the 60 minutes. 
always seems to be a challenge. Um, so the chat window is open if you are watching us live tonight. Thank you very much for uh, making the effort to join us live. Um, like I say, the window is open. Uh, get your chat messages in there. I can't see it at the moment because I haven't set my computer up right for this. So I'll do that once, I, uh, once I'm quiet. Um, so that's open. Uh, again, if you listen to the audio-only version, uh, your questions are still very welcome. The best way to ask your questions or get involved is through the forums uh, in the podcast forum for this podcast. Ask your question in there and we'll either answer it in the thread or we will come back on a future podcast and maybe make it a feature or a question or so on and cover that subject. So that's how you get in touch with us. And tonight uh, we're talking about uh, my trip down to Bowers and Wilkins. I went down there uh, last week to film a video um, with Andy Kerr down there. Uh, if you're a regular to the podcast and our videos, you'll know who Andy is. Uh, we discussed the new 700S3 speaker range. Ed's going to talk a bit about the 705S3s that he reviewed a little bit later on. Uh, we'll also cover my factory tour of the uh, the 800 series, which was uh, brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant. I wasn't expecting it uh, to be as large as it actually is, the factory. So we'll go through that uh, a little bit later on. I'll also give you a quick uh, rundown on some of the reviews that got lost a little bit over Christmas and New Year. So we're going to talk about the Philips OLED Plus 907TV, uh, Pioneer AVR that Doug looked at. And is 8K dead? Is 8K TV dead? Um, got back from CES, I only saw two on the show floor, uh, which was a big change around from uh, the last time I was at CES two years previous. So have people just lost interest in it? Is, is the industry lo- losing interest in it? Is it just... Too much of a technical feat to bring it to market. Um, we're going to cover that a little bit later on. Uh, but before we get started, just a quick catch up and we'll find out what everybody's been up to since the uh, last appearance on the podcast. So, Doug, what have you been up to? Uh, very little. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I bought a new telly, though. Um, Ooh. Uh, Ooh. I well, used CX77 uh, LG. Um, so um, I've got an OLED in my life again, which which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Um, Excellent. I, I used to use the projector for big screen viewing in the living room, and it, it turned out I was the only one in my family who actually knew how to operate the thing. Um, so <laughs> who saw that the, coming? Uh, <laughs> well, me when I when I spent money, <laughs> um, but I decided you know it, I needed something a bit more family family friendly. Uh, I'm with the 77 inch, and I've, I've got to say, I'm absolutely loving it, and um, it's great to have done it again. So that was the 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 C10 that you got, the, the CX77. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, at least you went for the proper screen size there. Yeah, I mean that's in that's in the not dicking about school of television <laughs> sizes and yeah, so. yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to have to start reviewing them at some point, whether it's uh, a manufacturer's place or or. Um, uh, or trying to get through through the doorway, um, it just won't go in the, in the doorway uh, in my usual testing facility. So yeah, um, it's a challenge. Yeah, and you see the thing is, you go to CES and you see these big screens, and they don't look big when you're on a show floor or in a in a suite in a hotel or whatever. You think, oh, that's a seventy-seven. That looks quite small. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, massive. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So good stuff there, uh, Ian. What games you've been playing? What you've been <laughs> simulating in your life? This water wash. Ah, oh, if only. Oh, there's there's some more DLC coming for Power Simulator, so I'll keep you posted on that. Um, apparently, yeah, I can't remember what it was. I think you can clean the entire White House, and basically, I can't wait. Um, but um, but yeah, away from that, uh, I finally got around to playing Deathloop, 
uh, which uh, is quite a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, came out a couple of years ago. It was a PS exclusive when it first came out, but it's also on Xbox Game Pass. I gave that a while, uh, which was good. Um, and also got out, finally, for the first time in a while, oh, after Christmas, that is. Um, just a group of guys you used to play football with. Uh, unfortunately, they play on a Monday night at 7 o'clock, so it's kind of curtailed uh, my inclusion on a sporting basis. But yeah, but they yeah we had a bit of a meetup first time in a while, so it was nice to go have a have some good food, a few beers, and a bit of a catch up with those guys, which was always nice. Excellent, good stuff. Um, Ed, what have you been up to? Um, well, uh, can I shock you all? Uh, I bought some more trainers. Um, I've now reached the point where I can't physically fit any more racks in unless I cut a hole in my ceiling. So um, we're going to have to revisit that as an issue um, in the fullness of time. Um, also, uh, again, really uh, running against form, I bought some more bits for a record player. Uh, the two-armed Avid Ingenium that crops up regularly in reviews, it's uh, been a cartridge test bed. It is a peerless piece of test equipment. Um, that now has a new power supply motor, and we replace the subplatter at the same time. This does mean that we're now approaching a trigger's broom issue with the Avid. I've technically owned it for 10 years, but the only parts of it are the same as they were 10 years ago are the clamp, the main chassis, and the feet. Absolutely everything else has now been changed over the course of the 10 years, but it's dramatically more capable than it was when it first came out of the box. Uh, which is, of course, you know, it, it's one of the other little, you know, charms of vinyl. That the, a ten-year-old product is a still completely competitive, and b you can continue to breathe on it and improve on it. So that's all been been good fun. Loads and loads of work. Um, I'm delighted with the response that there's been to some of the reviews that are already up. Uh, there's more to come. Uh, there's some really really interesting things uh, in the pipeline. Uh, just finishing off January stuff, so they'll be coming up in February. Um, in the unique position where uh, I thought that it would be a fairly unusual thing to review an amp an integrated amplifier that had both VU meters and an HDMI arc connection. Due to a really odd scheduling situation, I'm actually reviewing two in the same month. <laughs> and what's even more remarkable is despite them sounding so similar in terms of concept, they could not be more different in execution. So it, that, that's been a lot of fun. Loads and loads of stuff there. And, um, and yeah, I'm starting. I'm starting to think about starting to think about Bristol, Phil, the glorious, glorious aesthetics of the Marriott Hotel. I I just can't wait, mate. I can't remember the last time I was at Bristol. It was such a long time ago. Um, I last went in 2020, which now feels like a surrealistic dream that we were all just packed together in the bar as wild COVID circulated. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was. It might have been 2011. The last time I did. Bristol, yeah, uh, a long time ago, and it's just for me, it's it's getting there. It's no, just, it's a pain in the ass. I mean, the fact really... that it continues to exist at all, given yeah. its location, is quite remarkable. But no, I did seventeen consecutive years from two thousand and three to twenty twenty. So yeah. um, you know, it's it's time to it's time to re to, to revisit and, and get going again. <laughs> Well, you like the fact that it's now a hi-fi show. They've, they've dropped the AV sound. It's it's lot, so. it's time to stop pretending, isn't it? It it's it's a place for weird people to listen to to, to tweaky <laughs> music through two loudspeakers. Because yeah. you've only got two ears. All of you deviants with your multiple loudspeakers can yeah you know, <laughs> do whatever you do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're more or less caught up. Uh, I haven't been doing much myself other than work and been traveling a little bit with work as well. So that's always the Nice to get back into that. Nice to meet people again. Um, and it's going to be a busy month in February as well. Uh, 
quite a few TV launches coming, which I'm not allowed to talk about. Mm. Um, but yes, stay tuned because there are some TV launches coming up. Um, one of them was a no-show at CES. I'll leave you to figure out who that might be. Uh, and the other thing was I went to High Force for the first time. Um, I have lived here 24 years, uh, never been. Uh, been in the car park about five or six times on on uh, drives out and all the rest of it, but we kind of stopped and had a cup of tea and away again without actually going and having a look at the waterfall. So I did that this weekend. It's stunning. Mm, it is. I wish I'd done it earlier. I um, haven't been since I was a kid, but I yeah. left, a, left an indelible memory for me. Yeah, amazing. Really, really in, enjoyable day. Uh, we took the MX-5, we had the roof down. It was absolutely freezing. Um but you're in a little bubble when you're in that car with the heater on and the heated seats and the bubble hat on. So yeah, it was great fun going over the moors uh, in that and then over to High Force. So had a great weekend. Right. Uh, competitions. What can we win, Ian? Uh, in the hardware section, there are three competitions on the go at the moment. Uh, first up, you can win a, an Optima Cinema X D2 Ultra Short Throw Projector. Uh, with an NVIDIA Shield TV Pro bundle thrown in, which is worth a combined £2,000 from scan.co.uk. Although if you do fancy being in with a shout of winning that, you should hurry, obviously, after this podcast is finished, uh, because that closes at midnight, so you don't have very long left to win. So that that's that's midnight today, 30th of January. If you're listening any later than that, you've had it. Yes. Okay. Good luck if you do make it in. Um, also, you can win a Denon Home Range 350 wireless speaker worth £599. That comes courtesy of Peter Tyson. And last but by no means least, you can also win a Sony ZV-1 or ZV-1 camera worth £519. And that comes courtesy of MPB. Uh, to win any of those competitions, just head over to avforums.com slash competitions. It's open to pretty much everybody in the UK apart from Phil. Yep, that's right. Um, so yeah, get in there and some great competitions there. And of course, if you're a movie fan, you like discs and 4K and all the rest of it, uh, loads of those competitions as well. Um, tune into the Movies Podcast next week. They'll go into that in a bit more detail. Or head over to the competitions page now and get entered. There's lots of movies to win, lots of discs and so on. Uh, right, so we've caught up with everything. We've done competitions. It's time to get on with the show. If you'd like to support the AV Forums podcast on a regular basis, then why not become a patron? Head over to patreon.com forward slash AV Forums to sign up. You can also make a one-off donation through the Super Chat or via streamlabs.com forward slash AV Forums. All donations help us to improve the website and the podcasts. Thank you to all our supporters. So we've got some new patrons. Doug, why don't you uh, tell us who those are? Yes, uh, welcome, uh, Gary Davis and David. Ooh, Gary Davis. And David McRoberts. Welcome, guys. Thank you very much for your support. It really is appreciated. Um, ooh, Gary Davis on the radio. Who remembers that? Am I showing my age now? Yeah, it's not, um, I'm afraid. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not young and it means nothing to me. So. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I won't admit it. I think he's, he's still on Radio 2 doing the 80s show on a, on a Friday. I think it's a Friday or a Saturday, anyway. Um, yeah, and streamlabs.com forward slash AV forums or the YouTube super chat if you guys out there want to uh, give us any support. It really is appreciated. And once again, thanks, Gary Davis and David McRoberts uh, for becoming new patrons. Um, and don't forget, there is a new tier there as well, which gives you early access to a lot of the reviews and editorial and so on. So if you fancy that, go over to Patreon and find out how to join that tier uh, of patronage. Right, let's move on. Uh, it's news time. Uh, AV News. 
And big story about Netflix, uh, Ian. Tell us all about it. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, the company estimates that it's uh, around 100 million households around the, the world are using somebody else's Netflix password. Uh, and while they've generally had a, left a little bit of leeway with it, they've started to, to clamp down on it and introduced a system that's been trialing out in South America that they call paid sharing. Um, the short version is that uh, it adds... Um, it gives you the option to add the extra households, but for a monthly fee. The monthly fee is likely to be in the region of around three or four pounds a month. So it's cheaper than a full subscription, but it's still an extra three or four pounds a month. And presumably that will then come with Netflix clamping down on those households that don't have their own uh, Netflix accounts and are sharing passwords. So there might be a bit of a clampdown to come uh, in the months that follow that being unrolled uh, in the UK, the US and other uh, countries around the mm -hmm. world. Um, I mean, obviously, they've done their maths in terms of working out that it's going to lose a few customers, but the increase in revenue is going to more than pay for it. I think they're going to lose more than a few. Yeah, uh, especially with the timing. The cost of living is, is an extra few quid a month going to be a big deal to a lot of people. But yeah, like I say, they would have done the maths. They would have figured it out and seemed quite happy that they can take the hit. It seems, it seems like a very strange policy to take. I mean, they've allowed this for such a long time. Is it Ed, a, a case of there's now too many people piggybacking on accounts and, and they've got no choice but to do this? I don't know what the numbers are. Uh, I don't want to incriminate people. Um, I have My account is being used in one other location, and I would imagine that that's probably mimicked across almost any other account. Mm. I think when it's starting to be used in multiple locations, that 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 is going to start being a, a bit of a a bit of a bind for them. Um, but equally, you know, you know, having been the great white hope of how we consume media, uh, streaming services are turning into advert infused, high, uh, you know, relatively high cost, recycled content, dis fragmented platforms. Um, mm. And the idea that we're going to pay for all of them is is fundamentally laughable. So, it, I look, they've got to do something. Um, you know, they have shareholders that they, you know, they they are a company that isn't bankrolled by Amazon or Apple. They don't have their own space program. They do need to do something, and I do empathise with them, but I don't know what the the ramifications and the outcome will be. I think, um, I, I think they're going to have to be sensitive about how they do it. If they just do blunt instrument, you know, we've detected your thing at, at two locations, then sod off. I don't think that's going to win them, win the many friends or influence people. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, unfortunately, Phil, they, they do have to do something. I mean, let's face it, it's a congested market and you want all of the households that are actually consuming the content to be paying for it because I don't think there's any secondary benefit from there's no, uh, because there's no advert, they're not, you know, they're not those adverts aren't being viewed or any sort of fallback from that. Aside from you know word of mouth that show X is brilliant, it's not. I don't think they've got any benefit, so they have to do something. Yeah, uh, Doug, what's your thoughts on this one? Um, yeah, no, exactly the same as it. It sounds completely reasonable to me. Um, I'm probably in the minority. We just sit in the living room and use Netflix. Netflix there, um, but like like Ed was saying, they um, it's it, it it goes by word of mouth, doesn't it? That's that's how Netflix makes its money. People tell each other that there's a great show on Netflix and and create loads of buzz around it, and that that's 
how how they're um, kind of get, getting around. So yeah, yeah. I so mean he, the thing is they do have to be they they they, they could do with a degree of self reflection. I mean I. Uh, I, well, I, you know I don't watch an enormous amount of television, so I'm not a great example of this, but I don't watch Netflix dramas anymore because I simply have no faith they're going to persist any point more than one or two seasons before arbitrarily ending and being cancelled. I watch a lot of factual items on Netflix and I enjoy a great many of them, but I think they would do better to actually rationalise the content they were producing and stick with stuff and have the faith that, you know, if we look back at some of the great serialised TV shows of the 21st century, they didn't start with enormous viewing figures they had to lay the groundwork and then absolutely start flying you do not have massive hits from you know from a couple of episodes in so they they would do as well whilst they're doing you know uh accountancy stuff with multiple accounts they would they would also do well with a root and branch revision of how they're making content as well and stop the thing is how how do they police this i don't know because if if they're going to do it on the basics of an IP address, well, I'm with a provider where my IP changes every time I log in. Um, you know, I don't have a static IP address. Um, lots of people use VPNs um, just for safety and security, not to get around things, but just for safety and security. And how are they going to police that? I, I don't see how they can they can do this um, in the way that they're talking about. Uh, and and you know. I can see where some people um, will be very annoyed with this because maybe they do have four or five relatives all using the same account and it makes sense from from their point of view and and obviously it doesn't make sense from Netflix's point of view because it's lost revenue, but there has to be a happy medium somewhere. There has to be something. And the lower tier, although it is cheaper, you're then forced with adverts and Mm. people don't want that either. So I think that the thing is they're they're negotiating from a hand that isn't as strong as I think they think it is. Mm -hmm. I've constantly said on podcasts that it's always the streaming service that's on the bubble for me uh, because I use it proportionally the least of... Well, I don't use Amazon a great deal, but my calculation for Amazon is different because of the Prime thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, I mean, I regard Disney slash Star as a no-brainer. And then Amazon ingratiates itself because they send boxes to my house at the same time. Um, Apple, I do regard as good value. I mean, if you look at Apple's content generation, where they produce a tenth as much as Netflix, but they stick with it, Mm -hmm. I think that is the way way forward. It really is. Um, um, And and then you've got Disney Plus, which just seems to be nailing it at the minute as well, not only in terms of content, but in terms of their presentation as well. And, um, how they're presenting the, the content and so on. You know, I, th- I think that's still great value for money. And again, mm-hmm. you're getting stuff in shorter window time. You know, from theatrical to to being yes. on on the streaming service, and and that's worth paying the subscriptions. See, Netflix, they, they don't have that. You know, they they do their own original stuff, and they'll they'll do a short cinema window and so on if they think it's Oscar worthy. But um, they don't have the same pool as Disney. You know, they don't have the same studio pool that Disney have. So, yeah. What's your thoughts, Ian? You, you started this off, but we didn't get your opinion, right? Yeah, no, I mean, you can see why they want to do it. Um, like I say, 100 million households not paying for a service that they're providing. You can see why they might want to get a slice of that pie. I mean, the one thing that's not clear, talk about maybe being a little heavy-handed, but there's no... Netflix aren't coming out and saying, we're going to have 100% clamp down. That was kind of my words in terms of the, you know, obviously they, they're going to introduce it with the purpose of trying to reduce the numbers of people that aren't paying for their service. 
So I, I think yeah, we'll have to wait and see exactly how they implement it and whether they are really do strong, take a strong arm approach or whether they do just more try to convince people to, to come over rather than sort of, you know, cutting off. A, a combination of or, carrot and stick. Yeah, a little bit. And then, you know, and, it, and also exactly how they integrate it, whether it's, because, you know, when it comes to tracking ISPs, like when I was writing the story, I jumped onto my laptop just to get some screenshots and I instantly got alert from them saying, uh, you know, is a new device using your Netflix account? Are you sure this is you? So obviously I was able to confirm that, but, you know, there's ways that they can kind of mm. instantly recognize when somebody else is using or some other device is using a Netflix account. So it might be a little more, like Ed says, a bit more carrot and stick, just try and hopefully incentivize people yeah. to kind of sign up rather than just, yeah, having a heavy-handed approach. Yeah. Uh, I can see why they're doing it. It's a lot of money to be made. Yeah. Razor, who's watching live, uh, hello, good evening. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us live. Uh, he says this uh, will, this big push will probably drive people back to peer-to-peer -peer illegal downloading um, side of things. There's only so much people will take in terms of expenditure on these services and, and they'll try and get the content other ways. Well, what's your thoughts out there? If you're listening live, if you're listening a little bit later in the week, maybe add it to the podcast thread uh, or maybe go to the news story um, that Ian put up there and give your thoughts in the discussion there. Um, what are your thoughts about this? Um, are Netflix in the right? Are they in the wrong? What's your feelings in terms of how much a lot of these streaming services are looking for you to pay out on a monthly basis? And is the content worth that expenditure? Um, or will it push people to uh, the old Cody days and Cody boxes and illegally uh, streaming and so on? Um, let's get the conversation going on that one. Right, moving on. Um, what else have we got AV-wise? Um, we've got a couple of new launches from Storm Audio. Uh, they uh, brought out uh, a new ISP Evo processor and an ISR Fusion 20 receiver. Uh, the ISP Evo processor follows the likes of the ISP Elite Mark III. Uh, it comes with up to 24-channel decoding and upmixing, along with the likes of Dolby Atmos, DTSX Pro, Oro 3D, and IMAX Enhanced. Uh, that's penciled in for a, a Q1 release, so not too far away. Um, and the... Uh, ISR Fusion 20 Integrate Receiver, uh, that's due a little bit later in Q2. Uh, that comes with 20 ch channels of decoding and post-processing, plus 16 channel application up to amplification, sorry, up to 150 watts per channel. And of course, one of the more interesting sort of side features of that could be the inclusion of Dirac's new active room treatment that was announced at CES, uh, which we talked about previously. Um, Storm Audio obviously has a, a window of exclusivity on that until yeah. later in the year so i could certainly make that one to watch to see uh, some early examples of that in action yeah exclusive to them till the first of october um this year so they, they get quite a, a good run out um till the end of q3 anyway on that and uh it was something we were going to talk about doug but you couldn't make the uh the ces podcast but obviously i had the demonstration of this um absolutely fantastic demonstration as you would expect at a trade show they're not going to show you something that doesn't work um but absolutely uh, I've got to say, really impressive because they had thought about the demonstration and the the way that um, explaining how the all the other speakers work in tandem with this with the speaker to cancel out the room resonance, and it does work. Um, just doing ABs a um, was phenomenal. The the amount of noise in that room that they were able to cancel out, and it wasn't a particularly big room. It was um, it was a, a suite in a hotel, so. Um, if you've ever been in a suite in a hotel, you kind of get the idea of the room. So it wasn't any bigger than a maybe 40 by 30 feet space that we were in, uh, divided up into little sections. Um, 
And it did do what it said it was going to do in terms of uh, bass resonance and 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 so on. And it's it seems to be the holy grail that everybody's pushing for now because from about 250, 400 hertz upwards, we're kind of sorted when it comes to EQ and room treatments and so on. So what's your thoughts? What, what are you looking forward to hearing on this one, Doug? Uh, well, I'm just generally very interested in well getting my hands on it and, and measuring it and seeing what effect it has. Um, I, I mean, you were obviously there, so you, you, you've heard subjectively you know, quite how good it is. But the, the feedback so far from everyone that I, I read about that, that was there has been glowing. So it, it does sound like it's potentially living up to, to its promise. And it's, it's doing something that no other room correction so far has done or attempted yeah. um, in that all room correction does at the moment is it measures speakers individually and then it applies filters to yeah. those individual speakers. Whereas this is now using the speakers to essentially perform two two roles on the one yeah. hand, sort of delivering its own corrected sound, but also acting as active room treatment for the rest of the speakers in the system, um, mm. which is if if it works, then that's you know that's really moving room correction on very, very significantly beyond yeah. what anyone else is doing. Although I gather Trinov's got something in the offing. Uh, it looks like it looks like Trinov are just throwing as many subwoofers as they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll be I'll be very very interested to see see how it sounds. The one thing, and I was going to ask you about this actually. The one thing that um, people have said about it, which seems very valid, is being as it's only correcting up to 150 hertz down, and you're using each individual speaker as active room treatment for that frequency range, you're going to start to need very capable speakers mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Um, otherwise, they're just going to taper off in what they can correct. Um, yeah. So potentially, it's going to change what surround speakers people have. And obviously, people tend to have, you know, stuck these things on walls or in walls and might not want to change to more bass capable uh, surround speakers. So it might not suit every system. So I was interested to ask what, what surrounds they're using for the demo. They were using uh, the Perliston system that you reviewed. Ah, um, ah. So <laughs> again, you're talking, you know, 40 grand's worth of, yes. uh, yeah. of loudspeakers. So, yeah, but it was a high-end demonstration, so you can forgive them that, you know, using Storm Audio Electronics along with the Perlistons. Um, but yes, you are right in terms of uh, how the system works. It has to, at least two of the speakers have to uh, generate the... Uh, the, the resonance, the, the reverse, so it cancels it out. So, yeah, they, they have to be capable. I, I, I guess, you know, the, the Derek's approach to this is that um, these are going to be, this is going to be in high-end products. Um, people will have pretty meaty um, speakers um, that they're using anyway that should be capable of certainly getting down to, um, certainly down to about 30, 30 hertz, 20 hertz, maybe as a push, but, you know, um, and should be should be able to do this. What did impress me was the two floor standards and doing it in stereo, and it still worked. Um, you kind of think, well, you know, the room treatment, you need all the speakers working. Well, it worked with two channel um, and just two speakers as well. Um, wasn't quite as effective uh, as as you you know using a, a full array of horizontal uh, plane speakers, but 
again, it was very, very impressive. And what was impressive was they were able to, to just play back the correction um, that each speaker was doing. So you could hear it without the music playing. Obviously, the music was playing, but they could cut that out. And all you were hearing back was what the speakers were producing in terms of cancelling uh, the resonance. Oh, that's interesting. And that was really, really interesting to hear that. Um, yeah. And and the, the, the ability for them to do that as well was very impressive. Again, pinch of salt, manufacturer's demonstration. They're going to show you at its absolute best and at its peak, but very, very impressive. So I can't wait till you get your hands on this. And, and obviously, we will get the Storm products through. And again, we, we'll just briefly mention the trend of um, they're doing uh, the latest acoustic processing. We'll maybe get Jules to give us input on that because Jules is having the demo. He's over at ISD. Um, he's going to be able to hear that. Uh, Jules owns Trinov, um equipment anyway, so he's familiar with that. So we'll come back to that one. We were going to discuss it, but we'll save that for uh, the next AV Forums podcast when Jules is on, and we'll go into that in a bit more detail. But I did want to discuss Sterak with you, uh, Doug, because I knew you were really interested in that one. So let's move on to Hi-Fi News very quickly. Uh, Ed, a couple of stories there to, to go through. Yes, Um I will be brief, uh, principally because uh, I'm the, the first one I... I'm 95% sure I'm going to get in. Um, NAD, NAD, how do you want to uh, have announced the CS1 endpoint network streamer? And uh, the comment section is absolutely bob on on this one. It's a mysterious product. If you're me and you're a Rune user and you like having Rune added to various systems in a really easy way, this looks like a bargain. If you're not a Rune user, I'm, I don't know what it... I don't, I'm going to reserve judgment until I get it in. Um, but essentially, it's a very compact, um, very straightforward network streamer. But as best as we can work out, it does without NAD's BlueOS system. I mean, if it had BlueOS, this would be essentially, if you like, an austerity um, blue sound node, and it would be sen sensational. But it's not. It doesn't seem to have BlueOS. So unless you're using Rune, it's a bit bog basic. Uh, you do get airplay and, and other things as well, and it's very competitively priced. Um, but I think it's worth getting in for a short review. Um, the second item um, is is something where I'm putting it to people listening live and um, people listening in the week. Denon has announced a, uh, a new CD and SACD player. Remember those? They're exciting. Uh, the DCD 1700NE. Um, and this, it does, I have to say, it looks to be largely bespoke. Um, it's got some lovely bits and bobs in it. Uh, it's a whisker over a grand, I seem to recall. Um, yeah, 1,799. Are you interested in me reviewing more disc players, or has that ship sailed? I was quite I th I think impressed this, at how the Riga Saturn did, and I think the SACD angle on this means that it could be worth yeah. me doing. I, th I think this is, it's got enough behind it that we need to be having a look at this because like you say it's a bespoke item it's it, this is it covers back to what used to you know last after these types of builds these types mm. of players that, that denon and others and pioneer and so on used to put together um sony as well with sacd it, you know yeah absolutely I, I i'd say there's interest in this doug is this something that you know harken back to the good old days when we should be having a look at do you think battleships yeah, I, I, I'd be very interested in, in it. As I think I said on a previous podcast, I, I tend to ebb and flow in my interest in uh, AV sort of home cinema and hi-fi and kind of go backwards and forwards. Yeah. Um, I think that might rekindle some of some of that hi-fi hi uh, gadget lust. 
Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, I was very tempted, um, and uh, I believe that uh, it's not immediately going to be available, but there will be uh, review uh, samples available. And yeah, I was all up for it. I just, as I say, if you uh, make mm -hmm. your feelings, I mean, there's already been some comments in the in in the um, in the uh, Adrian Caliph says, yeah, go for it. Um, so yeah, add your thoughts on that. I, I'm aware the optical disc. For audio, it's you know it's not that widespread on the forums. I'd argue that there's probably more people using turntables, but um, nevertheless, a new SACD player, especially at one that doesn't have a telephone number, price tag is a rare thing. Uh, so I was up for it, and I I, I would value uh, welcome some feedback as to to yeah. I mean obviously Phil and is the person that does the feedback that generally matters, and he's keen. So we'll see yeah, where we go. I've, from I've always I've always been impressed with the way Den and. Uh, do these things as well. They, they, yeah. they, they actually think it through properly. So, yeah, very interested in seeing that one. So that's great. Right. Uh, very briefly, gaming news, Ian, what's happening in the gaming front? Yeah, well, I'll try to keep it brief, but there's a lot of games all rolled into one with, uh, when Microsoft and Bethesda held their first ever joint developer direct showcase. Um, obviously, all the, the details will be on the, the website if you want to dive in for more. And there's tons of gameplay footage now scattered all over the internet that people might want to go looking at. But the headlines, uh, Minecraft Legends, dated for the 18th of April. We also got a first look at its PvP mode, which is cool. Uh, Redfall, which looks like a lot of fun if you're into vampire slaying with friends. That's coming out on the 2nd of May. Uh, again, some great gameplay footage for that. Uh, there's a look at the new Forza Motorsport, which is coming soon and has a whole bunch of really good-looking sort of next-gen AV features in place, including real-time dirt and damage models for every single car, which sounds insane. Um, there was... Uh, the new Elder Scrolls Online chapter, which is called Necroms, dated for the 20th of June, uh, also comes with a new playable character class, if you're into that. Uh, while the one big surprise from the show was a new game from the Tango Gameworks uh, developers, the studio who made the Evil Within horror franchise. Uh, one of the surprises was that this was just complete divergent from that, and it's like a light-hearted, colourful, rhythm-action, melee-based game, so a bit of a change in tact. And the bigger surprise was that uh, the game basically dropped on the same day. So they said, uh, here's a new collaboration. Oh, well, you can play it in a couple of hours' time. So if you've got Xbox or PC Game Pass, that's available to play right now if you want to take a look. And it probably is well worth a look. Okay, uh, there we go. Some uh, brief gaming stuff. But games uh, is going to become more prominent uh, in the podcast as we go forward. Uh, so if you have any suggestions in terms of what you want to, to know, uh, Ian, uh, dabbles in the worlds of gaming that's ian's background he just plays games and doesn't really live in the real world um so yeah let us know what you want to hear and what you want to know about and uh, those will be incorporated into the podcast moving forward uh but yeah like i say um we're already battling against this 60 minutes mark i don't think we're going to make it tonight but anyway um let's get on to some of the av subjects and the first one was my trip down uh, to bowers and wilkins um and i was going down there to make a video uh, with Andy Kerr, so Andy's uh, marketing guy there, has been there a long time, uh, used to be editor at What Hi-Fi many moons ago, uh, was an audio journalist, well known for that, before moving uh, over to Bowers, uh, and he's been there oh, quite some time now, uh, I wouldn't want to guess, but uh, at least a decade, Ed, I think, maybe? Um, yeah, it, it, it's yeah. been a, been, been a significant... It's been a long time. It must be said, one of the more successful moves from Poacher to Gamekeeper. Uh, it hasn't. It hasn't always been a stirring <laughs> success when uh, you you move in that direction. So uh, yeah. hats off to him. He's he's done very very well. And as yeah, and as did. as you can see uh, from the video, which is going to be about forty minutes long, um, 
he's not short on on a few words to say about uh, Bowers and Wilkins product and so on. So the reason I went down was to make a video about the new 700S3 because Bowers are really uh, the one to push that forward. They think it's a, a real crossover speaker for them in terms of not just hi-fi but multi-channel as well. Um, behind the, the whole marketing thrust from them this year is uh, studio sound. Now, I did clarify this because when it comes to studio sound, that, that is the 800 series. Um, you know, the, the Bowser and Wilkins speakers that are in Abbey Road and other studios are the 801 D4s. Um, they are £32,500 a pair. Um, and there's three of them across the front of the control room. I think it's control room number two at Abbey Road. Um, they are pride of place there. Um, and it's always been the 800 series that have been certainly at Abbey Road. Um, so what do they mean with the 700s and studio sound? Well, what they're talking about there and what was explained to me um, during the day that I spent there with them was that a lot of the technology from the 800 has trickled down. Um, and that's where we are now with the 700, the S3 um, series. Um, that's very much um, where they, these speakers sit. They, uh, they get basically the hand-me-downs from the 800. You know, they, they spend the money developing the technology for the 800 series. If it's successful, if it's, and it usually is in, this, in the 800s, um, they, once they've done it once, they can do it again and save money uh, doing it again. You know, they may maybe not use uh, aluminium, they'll maybe use plastic instead uh, or uh, some of the components. But where that component has been successful, uh, they'll implement it into the design on, on the 700s. And I think the 700S3 is certainly where you start to see that and, and see that technology um, bleeding over from the 800Z. And, and one of the things that stood out for me, just seeing the new 700s, um, you've actually spent some time with them, um, is the front of the cabinet is now slightly curved instead of being flat, um, which harks obviously up to the 800, which is a completely mm. uh, bespoke, rounded cabinet. Um, and I was shown the, in the factory tour, and Stuart's shown some video now, uh, which will be in the main video that I put out as well, um, of them actually designing the cabinets for the 800 but that's one of the design features that has moved down uh, Twitter on top is basically more or less uh, the same sort of design ethos you don't get the diamond Twitter obviously because it would cost an absolute fortune for them to do that um, but you get the, the same kind of design and engineering in there with the Twitter on top as well um, and then the pods that the drivers or transducers sit in um, very much the same as the 800s, you know, moving that driver slightly forward of the cabinet. Um, the 700s do that as well now, moving that, that base driver just slightly forward of the cabinet. Um, so you can see the design ethos there. You can see where this technology has trickled down, Ed. Um, mm. And I've got to say, I had the full demonstration. Um, so if you've never been to the Bowers and Wilkins Visitor Centre, it really is impressive. So it's separate from the factory. Uh, so the factory makes the 800 series. Um, it's a huge, huge factory. They do absolutely everything in there if they can. Um, if they can design it themselves, they will. If they can manufacture it themselves, they will. Um, I, I think only the, the metal work is, is what they, they actually buy in. Um, and obviously the diamonds for the diamond tweeter. Um, everything else is made in-house, including the, the continuum uh, uh, drive units. They're all manufactured in the factory it is a phenomenal place i was not expecting it uh, to be anything like it is ed have you been on the tour yeah i've done that um yeah. it is it's it's larger and essentially it's um 
it's a demonstration of economies of scale that no other high-end brand realistically has. Mm. And, um, you know, you can say that £32,500 is a lot of money for a pair of 801s, if anyone else tried to build them, it would yeah. cost rather more. So yeah. no, it is extremely, it's extremely impressive. Um, the yeah, I mean, all yeah, I agree with everything you've said. Seven hundreds is is the the point where stuff that first appears in the eight hundreds becomes terrestrial adjacent, and yeah, I mean, it, it's been doing that mission now since the turn of the century. I mean, there was a break when they were called the CM series instead, but they went back to being seven hundreds. And yeah, it, I mean, I'll, we'll we'll talk about seven hundred five. In a, in a moment so it, it's it, you know it, it's it's extremely logical i mean boas is you know generally speaking very open about the things that they do but it means that you, there's you know it, it that they do occasionally spring a surprise but you do kind of know what's going to happen next mm. and there's a reassurance to that i mean it, it, it engenders yeah. a, a fanatical customer loyalty because they don't that you know they've got ideas that they refine and they own they, they very rarely bin anything and go actually mm. that was wrong and move to something fresh yeah it's it's quite refreshing i mean you know manufacturers will say oh yeah we trick stuff down and all the rest and you think well really do you these guys actually do i mean everything that that goes into the 800 will find its way down into the lower and the other thing is the sound signature ed and Mm. i really noticed this when i reviewed the car so the bmw with a diamond surround system in it um i'd spent the day listening or spent the afternoon before i left listening to the 801 d4s in the, the demonstration facility which is a fantastic properly acoustically treated room um you know, when you hear them in a space like that with the correct amplification and source and everything else, they are absolutely phenomenal speakers. Mm. The speakers disappear, basically. Um, and that, and that's what you're looking for when it comes to speaking. You don't want to hear the speaker. Um, and, and they really do achieve that. And again, I found that with the car. I found that with the 700s. And I listened from everything from the, the, the little incy-wincy uh, stand mount all the way up to uh, the uh, 703s. Um, floor standards which now come with a plinth and a downward fire and uh, driver and so on and they all had that signature sound um to, now an 800 and a 700 are never going to sound the same why would you spend <laughs> two grand on on a pair for you could pick up a three grand pair that sounded the same but there is this signature sound or, uh, that goes all the way through the range right down to the 600s um and it's definitely there um, and it's not something I'd, I'd ever kind of really taken on board before because I hadn't had the opportunity to listen to them all back to back like that before. And even going from, you know, the last iteration of the 700 to the S3, um, the difference is, is really quite pronounced in mm. terms of just how wide the soundstage they produce, the S3s, compared to the S2s. And the S2s were no slouch of a speaker. Um a really really good speaker but then you put the s3 next to it and you do a direct comparison it's really is you see where the changes have been made and the difference that that does make but that signature is still there from the s2 to the s3 it's just that little bit better um so before we go into the the 705s that you've reviewed um doug's etching as well because doug's uh, been promised the multi-channel system of the 700 mm-hmm. s3s um, so that's being organised at the minute. I believe you're going to get them probably the start of March. Yeah, um, and it's looking that way. And we're just uh, they're just deciding on on Doug's room size, what they're actually going to supply in terms of the multi-channel system. But that's something to look forward to. But Ed's had the 705 S3s in. Um, so, you know, give us your honest opinion on them, Ed. What did you think? They're exceptional. There's no no need to, to mince words beyond that. Uh, it's 
a tremendously capable loudspeaker. The, what I found interesting, and it's not something that necessarily is going to appear in Bowers and Wilkins' demo room, um, but this manages to do two quite contradictory things. It manages to improve on its predecessor, but it also manages to be a lot more user-friendly than its predecessor. Um, you can use, I mean, a, a number of, a, a, a significant amount of listening time was conducted using the uh, Riga LX Mark IV, which uh, the review went live for that today. Now that's £1,200. Um, and historically, sticking a 705 on a speed, on an amplifier that was significantly less, it's just, essentially it spent a, a fair bit of time telling you what was wrong with it and harking back to the studio sound thing without compromising on the fact that they're extremely detailed, extremely turning accurate, very faithfully uh, faithfully recreating the, the, the signal they're receiving. They were as happy as the proverbial pig on the end of the Riga. Um, if you have a system comprised of components in the 1000 to £1,500 pound price point and you wanted a first upgrade point, these are going to give you a meaningful jump in performance without telling you absolutely everything that's wrong about your equipment. And then they will continue to improve as and when you then start changing the electronics as well. It's a it's a very subtle new skill, but it's a very, very useful one. I think they look better. Um, the new tweeter housing is a massive improvement over the stub that the previous generation had, which looked weird. And I have to be honest, it felt weird as well. It, it always felt like part of its restraint was missing. This, uh, coupled with the curved front, it's a much more aesthetically pleasing speaker. I noted in the review, um, if, for those of you who are fed up to the back teeth with retro, this is an achingly modern product. It's finished in a way that's modern. It's built in a way that's modern. It doesn't, It obviously, it has cues that date back through Bowers and Wilkins speakers back to year dot, but there's nothing here which is shamelessly retro. So if you're fed up to the back teeth, this is the sort of thing you need to be looking at. The only thing I'll say, is as well as the 705 s2 i reviewed the 705 signature um and it's, it's very hard to make comparisons on something which has long since disappeared i just didn't find that there was quite as much joy when listening to high tempo high energy music that i experienced and wrote about and left in my notes when i was listening to the signature it's for this reason that the uh, S3 has a 9 out of 10 score, which, let's face it, under normal circumstances is pretty damn good. We have to acknowledge the fact that I awarded the Neat Petite Classic, the product of the year 2022. That has a perfect score. That has a 10 out of 10. If it was my two grand, I'd still have the Neat. But I'd 100% understand why you might choose the better finished, um, more aesthetically pleasing, and in some regards, perhaps more absolutely accurate Bowers and Wilkins. Uh, my take on this has been that as I'm not mastering albums, I'm listening to them for my enjoyment. I would go for the slightly greater joy that it has. But the Bowers is a phenomenal loudspeaker. I'm quite jealous of Doug getting his hands on the 702. I have a sneaking suspicion that that's going to be a phenomenal loudspeaker uh, because they that has been deliberately engineered to bring quite a lot of 800 floor standard technology down into it. So that could stand to be an exceptional product. And it's something that space, time, and other limitations allowing, I would very much like to have a look at for the site mm. as well. Yeah, well, maybe we need a two-channel as well. Who knows? Mm. Uh, but yes, uh, so thank you very much to Bowers for, for inviting us down anyway to have a look. It's the first time I'd actually seen the whole 
facility there. Um, and yeah, uh, stay tuned for Doug's review of the multi-channel system if that's something that's uh, of interest to you. And obviously Ed's review of the 705 S3s is up there and he's probably going to do the 702 S3s yeah, right. yeah. at some point anyway as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, very briefly, I'm going to go through uh, just one review that did kind of get lost uh, amongst Christmas and New Year and CES and everything else. Um, and that was my review of the Philips OLED Plus 907 uh, TV. Um, now, the uh, the 907, it sits under the 937. So the 937 has the big Bowers uh, soundbar um, that acts as the stand and so on. Um, this 907 harks back to the first collaboration between Philips and, and Bowers and Wilkins, which was the uh, OLED 903. Um, so it had actually had the, the speaker bar as part of the chassis um, of the TV. So it sat underneath the TV. Uh, 907 brings that back, but it has updated that. So it's now an LCR system. Um, the drivers are updated in that. There's a little bit more uh, room for the, them to breathe. The sound stage is quite a bit wider as well. Um, so that's one of the improvements uh, that has been moved uh, up into that. Uh, you also have HDMI 2.1. There's two 48 gigabits per second inputs, which will do VRR, ALLM, G-Sync, FreeSync, uh, and it will do high frame rate as well, 4K 120 at full resolution. Uh, some other bits and pieces just to pick out there, the uh, the P5 processor, if accuracy is not your thing uh, and you want to muck, muck around with uh, different noise reduction settings and all the rest of it, P5 does that, does it better than most um, on the market. And the smart TV uh, was Android TV. Again, Android 11, it run perfectly. In fact, I've still got the TV sitting here um, from when I reviewed it. I haven't asked for it back yet. Um, so I've been using it as my main TV. Um, thoroughly enjoying it. I think it's great. And I, I do like Ambilight. I think Ambilight's uh, fantastic. So if you missed that review, it's a great TV. It scored 9 out of 10. Um, has a lot to offer. Excellent SDR and HDR. It's accurate out of the box. It's got the OLED EX panel with uh, heatsink. Uh, like to say, sixth gen um, P5 processor on there as well. The Bowers and Milkins soundbar, which sounds excellent. Um, three sided Ambulite. And uh, I think I've covered most of it. The only downside is the two HDMI 2.1 inputs. Um, and if you need EARC, you, it cuts you down to one uh, 2.1 input. But then, unless you've got a load of 2.1 uh, input devices, and not everybody does, uh, the most you're going to need is probably two with your, uh, your games consoles. Um, then it's not a, a great uh, miss. And the nice thing is that it'll do 4K 120 at full res as well um, with, a, with a single chip uh, chip in there, which the 937, the more expensive TV, doesn't do because it uses the dual chip system. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to draw your attention to that review. Uh, the review is up on the site. Um, go find it uh, if you're interested in that TV. It was a shame. It kind of got lost in everything that was going on uh, around Christmas, New Year, and CES. Um and another um, brand that's come back on the scene after a, a short hiatus from reviews, certainly on AV forums, and it was Pioneer. Um, they've got a new uh, distributor, um, new PR behind them. Um, they reached out and said, do you want to have a look at the Alex 505, which Doug did. And what did you think, Doug? I thought it was very good. Um, it's, it's a bit of a, it was the first time I've ever reviewed a Pioneer. It's the first time I've ever had a Pioneer uh, actually to play with I've, I've played with pretty much or owned pretty much every other avr uh, manufacturer's product but i've never had a pioneer so i was really looking forward to uh having a go with it and on the whole i thought it was excellent um for the money you're getting an absolute ton of features in there um 
it's nine powered channels, 11 channels of processing with two subwoofer outputs. So there's enough in there for pretty much most rooms. Um, it's spec'd at 120 watts per channel, two channels driven, or I've, although I've seen independent measurements that do cast some doubt on that, but in my listening, it went plenty loud enough for me, um, although I do have relatively sensitive speakers. But the real, um, really interesting feature um, is that it supports both Pioneer's homegrown room EQ, which is MCACC, um, as well as Dirac. Um, so it's part of the sort of new generation of AVRs that have both their homebrew room correction, but then they've also paid for the licensing for Derek as well. Um, so you can make an interesting comparison between the two room correction approaches, um, which I did. Um, and I've got to say, uh, Derek rather left Pioneer's approach in the dust. Um, I didn't. I didn't get on with Pioneer's approach at all, but as soon as I put Derek on, um, it, it performed excellently and it sounded great. Um, I, I, I've certainly heard better sounding AVRs um, with with sort of a better Derek implementation. Um, but what you have here, and certainly for the price, is truly excellent. Um, and one of the very interesting things about their Derek implementation is unlike every other implementation I've seen, you don't require an extra laptop to, to run it on with an external mic. This uh, has a microphone supplied in the box, which plugs into the front of the AVR, much like Odyssey's approach. And then you run direct on a mobile phone. So quite similar to the Odyssey app approach. Uh, and it, it makes direct accessible for people <clears throat> people who don't want to fuss around too much and tweak too many things and I, I think I probably fall into the inveterate tweaker category and probably quite a few people watching this do um, but it, it it genuinely made Dirac's capabilities really accessible and really quick uh, and really user friendly and it's the first time I've seen that so on the whole um, I thought it was a very good AVR at its price point. Um, it does come up against the Denon uh, AVC-X3800, which is very similar, similarly spec'd, although it doesn't have Dirac just yet. That's coming out later in the year. Um, and it'd be a very tough choice deciding between those two, I would say. Yeah, it seems to be at a price point, which used to be a, um a wash with models, but there, there seems to be very few in that price area. You know, a, a lot of manufacturers aiming for a, a bit higher up the range these days, obviously looking for a return on their product. But um, it sounds like a, a, a good all-rounder. Yeah, yeah, it was a good all-rounder. And certainly if you're, you're into streaming services, um, this is pretty much everything under the sun. The compatibility with everything I can think of. No Cobas, um, but everything else was there. Mm. room compat compatibility or the other usual suspects it's it's very well specified excellent uh, so you want it more uh, on Doug's review there than it is up on the website uh, it's still on the homepage actually so if you want to uh, get in a little bit more detail 
on that product, you can do that through Doug's review. Thank you very much, Doug. Uh, which brings us on to uh, hitting 60 minutes. So we're uh, we're officially going over time tonight. Um, that was always going to happen. We'll call it preparation for the new 90-minute podcast. Um, right. So we've got one topic left to go tonight. And then we've got Ed's album playlist and then what we've been watching. So that's still to come. Main discussion topic is consumer 8k tv dead and the reason i'm asking that is that the last time i went all the way out to vegas for ces uh, the show floor was full of 8k tvs mainly from samsung their new aqled 8ks um were the big push because the 4ks were stripped of many of the higher end features to try and push people into buying an 8k tv um LG had one or two 8K nano LED TVs at that point. Um, And I do believe that TCL had an 8K TV on their show floor as well the last time I was at CS, which was 2020. Uh, This time around, I struggled to find an 8K TV. Um, Samsung still had their new QLED TVs, but didn't have it on the main stand on the show floor. Uh, Their TVs were all uh, in a a room elsewhere um, on the show floor. and LG had an 8K Z3 OLED. Um, but apart from that, I'm struggling. Oh, yes, there was the Inkjet 8K TV from TCL, which was a concept, so not one that you could buy. So, has everybody lost interest with 8K? Um, and before lost. I give you... <laughs> but before I give you my thoughts on this, let's let's just round robin round the tables here. Um, Doug, any interest in 8K TV? Any thoughts as to why it's maybe losing a little bit of traction? Um, I do have an interest in 8K TV, um, but only when they start bringing out TVs that are the size of my projector screen, because um, then you'll really start to see the benefit and actually um, you, you might want to start thinking about a TV over a projector um i'm saying that because i've just got a massive telly in my room and it's it's something that i'm considering at the moment but i certainly couldn't abandon a projector screen at, at this stage because they don't make tellies big enough but on really large screens i can see the merits um on anything more sensibly sized um i'm not even sure your eye can fully resolve 4k uh reasonable seating distance so i don't know when whether you can even see the extra resolution. Mm. Okay. Ian, what's your thoughts? Um, yeah, well, it's the kind of thing you're always going to be interested in it because you always want the next biggest and best thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm different to Doug in that I don't have a TV that's going to be big enough to make use of 8K. So I would be able to appreciate the benefits even if it was out there. And the other thing as well, I, you just don't see anything that appeals to me that says this is in 8K. So in terms of the content that's out there as well, there's there's nothing that I feel I'll be missing out on by not having an 8K TV at the moment. Whether that changes might depend on more TVs coming out mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. So it becomes a bit of a, a catch-22 situation. But, um, yeah, always going to be interested in it because there's always something bigger and better out there. But this might be something that's a little bit further away than, than some might be thinking. Nanette? Hey, there's nothing for me. Um, I mean, okay, I'm not a, I'm not a bleeding edge technology person, and thanks to streaming services, I am watching more content in the native resolution of my 4K television. But I still don't. I still think it probably doesn't hit 50% of the content that I watch is in 4K. Um, and there's just it, it has to be content driven, and there just doesn't seem to be any of it. 
And then, you know, looking at some of the figures for what you, the distances and, and, and sizes needed to appreciate a further difference, it just strikes me as negligible. The gains are relatively small, but a Herculean increase in the complexity of getting, filming it, editing yeah. it, and sending it to you. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that, you know, going forward as internet speeds improve and other, other, you know, obviously the ability to do special effects in these resolutions. It's, I don't, this is not a, it's never going to happen. I just don't think in the end of January 2023 that there's a significant upswing in demand for it. It's yeah. just, it, it's, it, you're buying hardware for which there is virtually no content any meaningful yeah. content for, and then let still less watchable content uh, someone else might know this i was under the impression when that uh, the tokyo olympics happened that that wasn't that supposed to have a native 8k feed yes and it did um, did it uh, yes but it was only uh to asian markets as i yeah. understand it um that were capable of taking it and it was a very small uh very small output but again it was uh, nhk who worked with the bbc um in developing uh, the delivery methods for that, um, it did happen. Uh, you've all of you, all three of you, have kind of hit the nail on the head. There, there is an apathy um, in the market. Um, there are regulations that they have to get around that have been in the pipeline for a while now um, in terms of power consumption. And at this moment in time, we're Ed's drinking uh, valuable resources like water. Um, but also, when you're using a lot of power, um, it's not the done thing at this moment in time uh, to use a lot of power. We're, we should be thinking about how we use the resources. And just to give you a, a, a figure, um, there was actually Marek at TCL that, that mentioned this in, in one of our videos, and it's very, very true. I had two 65-inch TVs from Samsung next to each other uh, not that long ago. One was a 4K, one was an 8K. Basically, the same features across both TVs, apart from the panel that was being used. The 8K TV was 50% of the brightness of the 4K TV. The reason for that is pixel density. Uh, you've got more pixels. Um, you then have to pass the light through those pixels. Because you've got more pixel density, you need more light uh, to push through to get just the same brightness as the 4K TV. So to, to hit 1,000 nits, you would need a shed load of power and a shed load of light. <laughs> In or 40 volt commercial grade. They hit the same uh, light output as a 4K TV. That's one of the drawbacks. And now, again, we're talking about LCD, LED LCD technology there. Um, it's not the same for, for obviously OLED, which is now becoming a thing. 8K is now becoming a thing with OLED. Um, so that, that's not a huge issue, and power consumption should be a get around. But that's one of the big things that manufacturers don't want to talk about at the minute is the power consumption of these things, and that the EU is bringing regulations. So 8K TV might, for a while, not really happen in, in the EU. Um, and the UK still follow the EQ regulations, um, even though we're Brexit and all the rest of it. We still follow that. Um, so it's the same for the UK as well as, as the EU. Um, the other thing is there is just no appetite for 8K in the community out there that produces the content. TV, don't want to know. Um, even though NHK and the BBC can, can do that with the Olympics, the amount of money that would have to be spent just in terms of uh, transmission equipment and being able to store it, being able to film it, then edit, uh, and all the rest of it, 
For TV, it's it's prohibitive. For film, even more so because you then get into effects and all the rest of it. Effects are still rendered at 2K in the vast majority of, of cases. A lot of film are still is still output at 2K DI. Um, very few 4K DIs going out. Even now, and we've had 4K for a long time now, um, we're only just getting up to the point where some content producers, some studios are now you know, flipping over and thinking, right, well, we can output a 4K DI now. Um, and that's that's now only just becoming a thing. Um, the other thing with, with 8K is that it has to do a lot of processing. So you need a really good image processor, video processing, which costs quite a bit of money, which means that the TVs are going to cost quite a bit of money because of the processing power. Because if you think about it, it has to upscale all content that's available at the minute. There's very little 8K native content. What there is is usually on YouTube and it's a demo footage that was shot on red cameras that can do 8K and, and maybe a couple of other professional cameras that can are capable of doing 8K. Um, there's some uh, consumer level cameras now that will do 8K. Nobody wants to watch your, your home videos in 8K. They want proper produced content. So that is a huge, huge uh, negative at the minute. So this is where the apathy comes in. Is 8K dead? No. It's it's kind of been sidelined at the minute while everything else catches up. Um, and you're not going to see a huge push. I mean, Samsung, I've, I've invested quite a bit of money in this. They will still obviously be pushing it as their premium brand TVs and so on. Um, but you're not going to see that much from other manufacturers at the minute because the demand is just not there. Uh, you know, Hollywood's not interested at the minute. They're, they're maybe shooting in 8K, but they're certainly not finishing in 8K. And and what they finish in is the important thing. And at the minute, they're only just hitting 4K um, in terms of what they're doing. And again, the processing power, the storage that you're talking about, there will not be no physical media that does 8K just because of the storage that, that would be required or or the compression that would be required. The other thing, the upscaling, you're, you're, you're looking at using upscaling to sell your, your 8K TV on the assumption that people are going to watch 4K. Well, 4K is still not that well used. So then you're looking at HD, which means you're having to do quite a bit of upscaling there and creating quite a bit. If you try and watch an SD image on <laughs> TV, that TV processor is having to make up 97% of the image. It's making it up because the resolution is just not there. Um, so again, it's great technology when it works, when it's on a huge screen, you know, 100 20 inches or whatever, it makes sense because you, you you get the benefit of you know that pixel density of, of the pixel pitch. You get that sharper image, you get more detail. And I've seen demonstrations where it has looked absolutely fantastic. Ed's seen the same demonstrations when he was at CES, and it does look amazing. You, know, you don't see what's going on behind the curtain in the background with all the processing and everything else is going on. But yeah, it looks great. It's going to come, people. Uh, it's not dead. It's just sidelined for the time being. It is And everybody on the podcast has kind of hit the nail on the head with all their comments. So what are your thoughts? Um, is 8K appealing? Is it something that you're interested in? Um, have you got an 8K TV? What do you, how have you found living with your 8K TV? Um, has it been everything that you hoped it was going to be? Is it relying too much on upscaling and so on? Um, give us your feedback. Um, do it now in the, in the live chat or... On this podcast in the forums you can head in give your comments or you can comment in the uh, on the youtube video uh, once uh, the live stream's finished uh, you know hit us up in in that area 
in the comments area. Let us know your thoughts. What do you think? 8K dead? Is it is it meaningless to you or is it something that you think will eventually move over to once everybody's up to speed? Um, so now, having covered all those points, anything else you guys want to come in with with, with 8K? Okay. No, you you mentioned right at the end for me. Um, I'm still I'm not I don't watch a lot of of SD content, but a huge amount of what I'm watching is is in 1080, mm-hmm. and uh, it just strikes me as awkward when you're having to to, to, to create vast swathes of stuff. And it's you know, let's face it, you sit down to an evening of terrestrial television, that's as good as it's going to get, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, uh, Phil, you will admit in your weaker moments that you actually became quite fond of Strictly Come Dancing, and that's not due to be in 4K anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so if you are pushing a, a piece of technology which is has to run to to make the image look as good as it did on your old television, you are <laughs> you're up against it. There's no getting around that. Absolutely. And I think the manufacturers have suddenly realized that as well and thought, well, you know, hang on a minute. We've still got quite a way to go with 4K um, and we've still got to get content up to up to that level. Because to make the jump to 8K, you need at least 70 percent of people's viewing content to be really okay. high quality H- 4K or or really high quality HD. Um and, and the vast majority of channels still in the UK are SD and really, really crap. Um, so yeah to make to make it worthwhile and make that jump up um, I think they need to concentrate on 4k for at least the next five to seven years Um, you know get the get the the pipeline working get the streaming services up to speed um, get the infrastructure in there and then it makes more sense if you're you're upscaling a 4k image to 8k it's nice and simple for the processor to do that you're not making up vast ways of, of the content um, and it looks good, and it does look good when when you see it done properly. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit away away, and it I, I did find it interesting that walking around CES and going to the our main core areas, which was TV, the lack of eight K and the lack of talk about eight K, apart from Samsung, was really quite apparent uh, compared to last time I, I did the show for two years ago. Right. Um, so again, if you've got thoughts on that. Uh, get your thoughts in, let us know. Uh, it's definitely a subject we will come back to and discuss in the future. Uh, so before we wrap up on what we've been watching, Ed's got his album uh, playlist and vinyl. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to... Th- th- this needs no more than two minutes. Album of the... Well, it's month, really, because it's had a whole month. Um, a lady called Lila Moss, uh, you may or may not have heard. She uh, is also the lead singer for a band called Duke Spirit, or The Duke Spirit. Done lots of collaborations with bands like Uncle and other things as well. This is her second solo album. It's called Internal Working Model, and it's brilliant. It's on all the major streaming services. Go and have a listen. It's really, really good. I've ordered it on vinyl as well because I'm mad. But, you know, that you don't have to do that. It's on all the major streaming services in high res on most of them as well. Um, vinyl, um, and also, again, on all the major streaming services, you don't have to buy it on vinyl. Um, Liverpool band called Circa Waves. Um, they did, um, this is their fifth album i think called never going under uh it's 30 low 30 minutes long doesn't overstay its welcome goes like the clappers and the vinyl copy is it's a really really nice pressing sounds excellent um not much in the way of additional features but i'd rather they spent the money on the actual record that's because i play them rather than hang them on the wall um and then uh, i'm afraid i've reverted to type with the uh, playlist of the month you know my feelings about french music 
um, there is a playlist on Cobuzz, the French streaming service, called French Touch, and it's full of absolute bangers. 55 tracks, 4 hours and 45 minutes of absolute French gloriousness. If you don't feel like snogging Emmanuel Macron at the end of it, uh, I don't know what's wrong with you. It's fu- Sorry, it was going to go somewhere a little, a little suitable there. It's bloody marvellous. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, I, I actually, I, interestingly, if you want it on Spotify, I've already ported it across to Spotify. So ping me and I can stick a link into the yes, comments please. thread for the Spotify version of it. Cause all the tracks ported across, it's really, really good. Um, not for the first time. I'm going to point out that the French are the best at dance music and everyone else is running to catch. Controversial, Ed. Controversial. No, it's not. It's simply Snug not. Snogging Frenchman. You'll get a name for yourself. Nothing, nothing. I've not already done. So no, um, I uh, it, it's well worth a listen. Really, really entertaining. Those are the, the things. I don't need to talk about them. You just need to listen to them. Excellent. Thanks very much for that, Ed. So that's Ed's uh, album playlist and a vinyl. Uh, so right. So what we've been watching? I, I'll be quick here. Uh, we've only been watched, binge watched one thing uh, this past week, and that's uh, Robson Green's tour of the northeast of England. Um, the reason for it was uh, it looked interesting. We live here. Um, it's nice seeing places that we know um, being discovered and also finding out things that we didn't know about the local area because we, uh, we've been out and done a few bits and pieces and we'll probably go out and do a few bit more. So uh, it's on iPlayer, Rob's a good, we've, we've sat and binged a whole lot. Um, worth a watch if you like uh, travel logs, vlogs and stuff like that. Uh, go check it out, uh, especially if you like to visit the northeast. It's a beautiful place up here. Come and see Northumbria and Durham and Teesdale. It's great. Uh, right, Ian, what have you been watching? Um, but it's been a little while since we did these, so I've been watching a lot of the usual suspects uh, over a lot longer than a week, uh, mostly on Netflix, Wednesday, 1899, The Recruit, a lot of new series on there, which were a lot of good. I just want to give a quick shout out to something that I found on Amazon uh, a month or so back, a series called Wayne. Uh, it's a few years old, so I obviously missed it when it first came out. Um, it's It quotes itself as being from the writers of Deadpool, so at least one of the people involved there are in it. But it reminded me of the uh, series The End of the Effing World, um, which so it's quite deadpan, quite kind of dark. Everybody, all the characters are messed up, and it's just great fun to watch. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's got a kind of a warm heart. It kind of plays around with kind of violence and silliness. And it's it's fun, and it's over the top, but it's quite heartwarming. And it's one that I hadn't seen and hadn't heard of, so I just thought I'd give it a name check, because it's definitely worth a look. Okay, a uh, question come in for you, Ian. Uh, um, Orion V seventy five says, "I hope you've been watching The Last of Us, being a gamer." I don't have access to the streaming services that it's on, but I am following it adamantly because The Last of Us is still probably my favourite video game of all time, um, and I would say that it's maybe seventy percent based on the story and the characters rather than just the okay. gameplay. Um, it was one of those. I mean, I'm sure the TV series would be the same when I get round to binge watching it as I will do. Um, but yeah, there was a point in the game. I'd already been playing it for like one o'clock and couldn't put it down. And then something happened in the game and I couldn't put it down for another like three hours afterwards. So if it keeps dropping story bombs like that. I'm sure it's going to be immense. Okay. Which uh, streaming service is it on again? Um, it's HBO, I think. Well, it's, what would be the UK equivalent? It's now TV. And, oh, right. Okay. So um, I'll maybe share my login details with you. Ian. Ooh, <laughs> expect expect the, the long arm of the law to come and get you. Yeah, Netflix will be cancelling me next week. Uh, Sky Atlantic over here. All right, um, maybe I can help you with that one. But uh, never mind. Uh, Doug, what have you been watching? Uh, like, like the rest of the country, uh, I've been watching Happy Valley slowly as it rolls out on the BBC. 
Um, that's been keeping me fairly hooked. Um, the new discovery that quite a few people, uh, quite a few of my friends have recommended is the White Lotus, uh, which I'm finding very enjoyable so far. Um, it's essentially a, a bunch of loathsome rich people go to a resort in Maui uh, for a holiday uh, and you watch their lives unravel and it's a, a black comedy stroke drama and it's very entertaining so far. Um, so I've been enjoying that and I've also just started uh, 1923 which is a, another Yellowstone spin-off. Uh, I'm following in the footsteps of 1883, uh, which was absolutely phenomenal, I thought. Um, it's a bit slow going in the start, uh, but I'm a big fan of the Yellowstone universe, so I'm interested to see where it goes. Okay, excellent. And, uh, oh, Ed, are you watching anything? Um, I, uh, I was saying just before we went on, I, uh, on a whim, I watched the uh, Scandal with a K on Netflix about the collapse of Wirecard. Uh, it's brilliant. It's a, a feature-length film, uh, but it's all factual. And proof, if any, was needed that truth is stranger than fiction. Absolutely spellbinding. Couldn't stop watching it. Brilliant, really brilliant. And then earlier on in the month, <clears throat> uh, sort of over Christmas as well, I can't remember exactly when it was, I, th I mean, the second series of Slow Horses, what a thing. Absolutely sensational. Um, again, Apple TV doing a small volume of really blooming good television, and sticking at it. So yeah, that's that's how it should be done. Please pay attention to that, Netflix. Um, okay. Otherwise, no, I just watch um, uh, reruns of River Cottage for the recipes and um, Traffic Cops on Channel 5 because I like it. Okay. We won't judge you. We promise we won't judge you. Uh, okay, well, that's what everybody's been uh, watching on the telly box. Um, and don't forget that Ian uh, and Andy also produce the Netflix and other streaming service update uh, articles for the month ahead so if you are a little bit bored and you want to know what's worth watching uh, in february and uh, then head on to the av forums homepage right now those articles are up there uh, with a list of what is coming up uh, streaming wise for you to look at but that's it uh, for tonight's podcast don't forget the uh, av forums movies podcast is back next week that's monday the 6th of january it's starting at 8 30 p.m uh, if you want to watch live and then of course it'll be available after the live stream uh, for you to enjoy as the audio only version and this podcast the av forums podcast will return in two weeks time on the 13th of february uh, and we are a longer format although saying that we've nearly done 90 minutes tonight so it'll be kind of the same, same format but same a little bit better organized better guests probably um if we could have put them <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, uh, join us for that. We're going to split it up into separate categories and deep dive into subjects and so on. Um, more details as we uh, launch the new podcast formats. But that's starting at the usual time, 7pm on the 13th. Um, so join us for that. Did I say the 6th of January? That's because it's wrong in the uh, in the running audio. It's 6th of February. We're in a new month. It's the last almost the last day of the month. Anyway, uh, if you've enjoyed the show, um, if you think we're competent in any way whatsoever, uh, give us a like. Uh, you could also subscribe if you don't want to miss any of the uh, future uh, live streams. Um, if you listen to us on your podcast provider, then let us know which podcast provider you are listening to us on. And if I allow you to rate uh, the podcast, then please do that. My thanks tonight to Ian, Ed and Doug. Thank you very much, guys. It is right. appreciated. And of course... Yeah. Uh, you can do all the usual things, like I say, subscribe, tick the like button, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, bookmarkavforums.com for the best reviews, news and videos. Uh, and of course, 
five star ratings everywhere uh, if people allow you to do that on the streaming services. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for watching and listening. And we'll see you in two weeks' time for the AV Forums podcast. But don't forget, Movies Podcast next week.